What's up, everyone? This is episode number 101 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, speaking of social media, I've had a lot of good dialogue about last week's episode and the new HGA slabs. I posted some eBay links for those on Twitter. If you haven't seen all of the different color options, I definitely want to encourage you to pull that up on your computer or phone and check them out. Um, You may also have noticed that today's guest, who is a bit of a recurring guest on this show, Steve, a.k.a. S. Howley 2003, or Showley, as my brain still wants to call him, but Steve has been showing off a lot of rare Crowder stuff on social media over the last week, and many, if not all of these, are new additions. And the process of acquiring all of those is pretty interesting. There was a a big lot that showed up. I thought you guys might want to hear about that, so he'll be on in a little bit to talk about that. Um, We will also touch on some hobby headlines. Yes, I've been waiting two months to do that. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Murray, that is, finally spoke about the fake BGS slab scandal. So we're going to run you through that conversation. Also, you've seen it all over social media by now, but there were some record prices on cards this weekend with golden auctions. We'll cover that too. Before we get there, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I joined their affiliate program. Whether you're looking for signed memorabilia, one of the popular Phoenix football box sets, or any form of sports gear, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod and click on the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! All right, Steve, so the stars aligned. All this stuff has been happening in the hobby, and I knew I wanted to have you on again, and I was able to find a night where neither my Pacers nor your Celtics had a game, and tonight is that night. So it's been a little little while since we've chatted, um, but first off, how have things been for you and the family? Thanks, Kyle. Glad to glad to be back. And you're right with this hectic NBA season, it's it's not not common that that the games aren't happening. I feel like there's games every night, so which is fun, but it's hectic. Um, things have been good with the family. You know, no major updates. We're just grinding through. New England's still pretty locked down, so we're we're keeping to ourselves and and enjoying the best we can. It gives me plenty of time to enjoy the hobby and make some interesting decisions with my hobby. So things are well. How about you guys down there in Florida? We're doing pretty well. Um, same thing here. I am uh, scheduling around Pacers games while I still can. And um, wife's doing some nursing studies. So I've got my hobby time and, and things are all good. So it's very similar to you. So, okay. Uh, I don't know if I'm making the same decisions as you, though. <laughs> Probably not. And we'll cover that later, not to uh, guest shame anyone. I'm actually making, I am making some bad decisions that involve uh, Leaf. 
but <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to go into those today because there's still some goals that I haven't hit that I don't want anyone else to latch on to. Okay, so like I said, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the hobby lately, and I figured we could run through a, a few of those things. Um, and then like I alluded to, I want to talk about a pretty big purchase that you made for your collection. I think it was a couple weeks ago. Um, now the first topic involved a little bit of homework. So thank you first off for doing your homework. Um, that most of my, uh, the people that I work with, uh, my normal clientele, they don't do their homework. So that's nice. Um, right around the time I released episode 100 last week, Jeremy Murray, uh, he went on the Beckett live show and he finally weighed in on the fake BGS slab scandal. Uh, aside from the tweet where, you know, he told us to buy wisely and to look closely. So I had you watch that before we got on today. Um, I would encourage everyone to check that out. It's about 40 minutes long because I always want you to hear from the source and not just base your opinions on the secondhand reaction. Well, I've had several people ask me for my thoughts on it. I tweeted out my summary um, not long after, but I didn't provide any formal analysis. I wanted to save that for now. So I figure the best way to do that, we're just going to run through the summary and we will stop uh, for the most relevant parts. So Steve, feel free, stop me if I skip over something that you think is important or deserves more attention. Okay. So um, the first thing that stuck out to me that Jeremy said, um, he said these message boards that are out there and these guys that do these investigations are crucial to the industry. Um, now, he added, sometimes they don't always bring facts to the industry, which I didn't have anything wrong with that statement because we have seen a lot of misinformation. But um, I got the impression that um, he was trying to say that, you know, I'm, I'm very much an open book and I want to have conversations with people and yada, yada, yada. Is that kind of the vibe you were getting from him? Yeah, I actually appreciated that, that part of the conversation. And I... I don't want to misquote Eric, the host of the show, but um, and I don't listen to his podcast often. But when I have, he he comes down pretty hard on the social media and the forums about you know the depths of negativity that occur there. And so I, I was glad to hear you know a different spin on it and sort of an openness to the feedback. Um, and they they even you know quoted card porn, Instagram card porn, a few times and talked about maybe getting them on the show. So I, I did. I took that as definitely some openness for they are wanting to hear from the public and, you know, use the public's knowledge and, you know, recognizing that there is a lot of knowledge out there to be had. Um, and they did say multiple times, we might not always agree with it, but we want to hear it and we want to hear some of the, the feedback. So um, I did appreciate that part of the, the conversation. Yeah, I, I liked what was being said. I don't know if it's consistent with everything that has actually happened. I don't know how receptive they've been behind the scenes. Uh, I know when I email Jeremy, usually I get a response, even if it is a copy and paste. Although if I have any follow-up, usually there's not a second response yeah, that usually gets ignored. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, yes, I have been very critical, but we are trying to help the situation. You know, we are trying to put a lot of work in to make this thing better. That will actually make their company and their business better. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, they went on to talk about um, the differences between the real and the fake slabs. And they actually had a fake slab that was sent to them. So they were able to do a comparison. A lot of this stuff was stuff that we already knew stuff that had already been information that had already been shared with them. But I'm going to go through the things that they confirmed 
because prior to that, they really hadn't confirmed much of anything. So they said um, on the fake slabs, the missing dot is an issue. They said sometimes though on a real slab, you have to tilt the slab to see the dot. Um, and on the other hand, on the fake slabs, the patent number is really bold and pronounced. So just keep that in mind. If, if you don't see a dot on your slab, you might want to actually tilt it and look at it in the light. It might be there, just very um, difficult to see. They mentioned that the patent number is in the wrong place on the fake slab. And then the thing that I found the most interesting, they said that the, the label or the slip on the fake cases is completely handmade that it's two stickers put together, and you can only tell that by taking the case apart. Um, and then finally, they said the inner sleeve looks the same, but is different, and then the fake slab is a little thinner. Um, let's go back to that um, two stickers put together thing. What, what did you think when you heard that? That So that, they also hit on something else, Kyle. Um to you know in line with that but but eric brought up the font of the this the the slip and that's the part where i started to really question how competent bgs was is with some of this stuff and what i'm what i'm referring to is eric the, the host of the show mentions that somebody had brought up that the the font is different than the actual slips and then jeremy brought up that they're looking into that but in reality they don't even know what font they have in their own slips and their vendors have said <laughs> it's not consistent right so like that's yeah. when i started to wonder how how clueless are they about the actual security of their product so and they did talk about there was two stickers and actually the 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 maker of the fake slabs has to use like a, a piece of cardboard in between the two stickers to make it thick enough so it doesn't move in the in the slab um, goes to show the level of detail of it um, but I actually got stuck more on the font issue and the inconsistencies there that the, they can't even consistently print the same slip um, and talk about leaving loopholes for, for fraudulent activity. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning. Um, we'll, we'll talk. They wanted to make some more changes, I think, to the label. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so then Jeremy said to buy carefully, and he said, right now, he encourages people to, quote, buy through PayPal or a credit card company that you can do chargebacks with until we can adjust some things, which um, is phenomenal. The fact that they're just encouraging you like, hey, we're not sure if we're going to have this right. <laughs> so you might want to have a, um, a security blanket there. Um, he talked about how they have an investigative team. He said they're trying to track it backward to see where it came from. And then he discussed tracking down known duplicates and studying them both. So, for example, a real Jordan with a fake counterpart is being sent to them so they can check it out. So, someone asked a good question. What are the next steps? And once again, Jeremy goes back to when you're buying these cards right now, buy them from a trusted dealer. Which, you know, that's one of those things in my mind that's easier said than done. Um, because a lot of good people have ended up with bad cards and bad slabs unknowingly. Yeah. Um, you know, I've sold a card before to somebody that um, apparently had been touched up with a marker on the edge and it was a relic card and I had no clue. And, you know, I didn't know until they, they discovered it and told me and I had to take care of it. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I feel like I'm a pretty trustworthy seller. I've always tried to be. But um, everyone makes mistakes, right? And, and people, you know, it's hard to trace some of this stuff back. So that, that was um, one of those easier said than done things. 
they said, uh, if you have any information about this, pass it on. And then they said they're going to revisit the slab and look for a security feature that doesn't change the look of the slab. So that's good for people that like that consistent look at the label. And he said it's probably time to add more security measures to it. You think? Um, and then he said maybe we could add a hologram or maybe add a watermark somewhere. And then later he said we'll stay ahead of the game. <laughs> um, right. So... Um, the last part here, Jeremy says he has not seen any fake BVG slabs as of right now. And in 86, 87, Jordan rookies, the oldest card he's seen. Um, he says he hasn't seen fake cards in a fake slab. Um, he hasn't seen autograph cards in a fake slab. He was asked if he knew what part of the country these were coming from. And he said, possibly we've got some trails that we're following. So in other words, they, I think they do, and they don't want to say it, which is fine. You don't want to just brand a, a whole region as being at fault here. And then he find, he closed by saying he had an hour-long Zoom call with another key figure in the hobby who encouraged him to come out and talk about this. All right, I I gave a lot of summary there, Steve. So if, if you want to jump in and, and give me some more thoughts, feel free. Um, yeah, so I, I think when you talk about what they said they would do for security measures and then also their response to uh, shop wisely, which I, I do think they backpedaled a little bit. I think they realized that that tweet that they sent out seemed pretty aggressive and they tried to sound more supportive in the interview. But it really it didn't it didn't inspire any you know confidence with me as a potential consumer, because at one point, um, Jeremy even says, you know, several years ago, PSA changed up their slip for security reasons, and they did a really good job. Um, and he had a theme of saying several times, he said, we just didn't know anybody could fake our slab. So it really came off as like, oh, can't blame us. We didn't know you could do this. And that part was really concerning to me because it wasn't, now they have to tell their consumer, guys, we can't help you. So you better hold PayPal, your credit card can, because these fakes are out there and we don't really know how to control the situation yet so buy wisely because it's not until you get it in hand and potentially crack it open that you'll know if it's fake or not um so that that was the part where i just saw them being out of control and i if i had a lot of and i don't have many bgs cards if i had invested a lot in them over the years i'd be really frustrated that they let it get to this point that they haven't stayed ahead of the get curve as they said they would um that part was was really frustrating for me. So they were out there talking about it, but they didn't have answers that I think would make a consumer really feel confident that they have control of this at all. Yeah, I do want to give them, um, you know, I've been critical of them plenty of times. I've, I've been critical of the fact that they won't come out and speak about things. So I do want to give them the smallest amount of credit here. You know, he came on a 40-minute podcast and he addressed the situation. Um, with that being said, that still doesn't excuse the answers, right? It right. doesn't excuse the fact that the response just wasn't very good. And maybe it was the best response they had, but they put themselves in that situation. And, you know, he's the figurehead of that situation. So he's got to deal with it. And they did, um, to their credit, there was a chat at the time and they were fielding questions. Mm -hmm. So um, there was some level of openness there. Uh, I just want to see, you know, what are they doing going forward with this thing? If I was a, a BGS customer, um, I wouldn't, I, I'm with you. I really wouldn't feel too comfortable about um, definitely moving forward. I mean, I'll still buy some slab stuff if I just really like the cards inside. But um, 
I definitely am going to have to buy wisely. Okay, so the next topic that I want to talk about revolves around some of the record prices we saw, uh, primarily with golden auctions last weekend. And I, I'm not even going to have all of them here, but the main ones that I saw, we had a pair of Michael Jordan PSA 10 rookies ended for over $700,000 a piece. A Curry RPA number to five ended for roughly 800000 And then a Curry RPA with a much better patch than the one number to five, but it was a base version number to 99 ended for almost $400,000. Now, I didn't see any Jay Crowder cards in there. <laughs> I didn't see any Ron Artest or Jeff Foster cards in there. But um, were you following this situation at all? You know, for interestingly, I was more interested in um, the Mantle PSA 8 that came up, just coming off the, the very public sale of the PSA 9 and, and just reading some of those articles. So I paid more attention to the Mantles. I did not know about the Jordans until they actually sold, and then the, the information was, was all over social media, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it was kind of hard. I mean, I wasn't watching the auctions live, but it was kind of hard not to see the news after the fact. And um, a lot of people were weighing in on it. Um, Golden himself uh, did a um, Instagram live. I think Gary V even jumped on yep. it. It was like the the mega powers um, activating there. But um, it, uh, it, you know, they were obviously very much on the this whole idea that hey, everything's booming, everything's awesome. You know, these sales prove everything that we've been wanting to say. The hobby is strong. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that are not convinced of that. I'm not going to get into the discussion of whether or not we're in a bubble. I don't think that conversation does us a lot of good. But um, I was talking with our good friend Jason, aka Small Town Cards, the other day, and he said, I think we've entered the consolidation part of the boom. Guys are having a harder time moving small stuff in retail. The ones who can are putting it into a few cards. And uh, I agree with him. I think we're starting to see that happen. Um, you know, little less Kyle Guy purchases, less Taylor Horton Tucker purchases, and people are, you know, I don't think those people necessarily are buying the $700,000 Jordan cards, but I think everyone is starting to look to consolidate just a little bit. Um, what's your take on that? that that's interesting. And, and what I'm um, speaking specifically about the Jordans, you know, when we think about the boom over the summer, which there was a tie to the last dance. And I remember listening to the house of Jordan's podcast at the time, and they were tracking those sales for obvious reasons. And they were talking about, will it eclipse the hundred thousand dollar mark at that point for some of these. And, um, a hobby buddy of mine, Patrick, uh, PK 32 sports cards, I'll give him a little shout out. Um, had a really interesting response when he said, you know, what is it that drove such a phenomenal increase in the price when you're talking about a player that's been out of the league for what decade and a half, two decades, has all his accomplishments, has all his rings, hasn't had a change, hasn't even been in the news, right? That those mm -hmm. are the things that we typically think of driving prices up or driving a bump in a price, a retirement, a Hall of Fame, a unfortunate passing, etc. Those are the things that we we're so used to seeing the bumps, and here we're seeing these surges that are unprecedented and with really nothing behind it other than just people buying the cards which is which is interesting um i i don't know that i can even process why that happened but i i can definitely see the consolidation and if you had a couple of 
Giannis's and you don't think he's going to win it, you sell those off and then buy a big Michael Jordan, LeBron, Steph, who, you know, have proven that they're all time great. So I think that's definitely part of the puzzle, but there's probably factors outside of this. You know, there may be some people that are seeing this more like art collection at this point. Um, I don't, so it's, it's interesting though. I, I don't know much more behind it than that though. Yeah. One of the things that I think Golden, I think Gary mentioned it as well, is the fact that there are like 317 Jordan PSA 10s. Um, Because one thing that I I was also talking with Jason about, you know, um, a a year or two ago, I I chose a Wilt rookie over a Jordan rookie. And, And first off, I don't regret that because that was the card I wanted. So it wasn't really an investment thing, but it, it, they were similarly, the ones I was looking at were similarly priced at the time um, as far as the low grade ones. And, um, you know, I always felt like I could stumble into a Jordan rookie still, whereas a Wilt rookie, I'm, I'm probably not going to stumble into that somehow. Not that I'm, you know, not that I expect to find a Jordan rookie, but it's just not a rare card. And um, when I say that, I, I recognize though that the the tens, they're you know they're, he's the most popular basketball player of all time, and there's only 317 of them. So um, I could see that reasoning. I, I I can understand that a little bit now. Am I am I going to drop that kind of money on it? Well, I don't even have that kind of money, so it's not even a, a question for me. But um, if I was somebody that had that money and was looking to invest it in a sports card. You know, yes, that number, that 317 is going to keep going up, but I, I don't think it's going to go up, you know, quickly. I don't think we're going to see a surge of PSA 10s emerge here. No, and, and, and that's what will maintain some level of value forever with that card, right? Whether it stays, a, you know, just under a million dollar card or it dips down to some other number we don't know about. But, you know, we, we joke a lot about the, the Prism rookies, and there's more graded PSA 10 Luca Prism rookies than anybody in the world actually wants. The population is more than the actual collector base probably for that card. 300 right. and some odd Jordans, there's always, always going to be a collector that wants a PSA 10 Jordan and is unable to get it. And there's going to be collectors with deep pockets that are going to want one. So there is some sustainability to value with that card, and I'm sure that drives people that are buying that type of asset to feel a little more secure, and then they they bid up on it. So um, again, many factors to this, I think. Right. And th- and then those people that have eights and nines are, um, you know, understandably excited, yep. uh, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I, I, I understand it. Even if, if you're not in this for the investment and you see that a card you own has gone up in value, that's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do occasionally track some of my nicer cards that I would never sell and um, I, I'll even tell my wife, like, hey, remember that card I bought for such and such? Well, it's up to such and such now. And the response is usually, yeah, but you're never going to sell it. So um, she, you know, she knows me. She sums it up well. She's not as enthused about it as I am because she knows there will never <laughs> be a return on that. Yeah. And she doesn't get the same enjoyment out of it. But it is what it is. Um, we love you, Mrs. Wax Museum. <laughs> All right. One more thing, though, is, um, you know, it was interesting that we had kind of dueling perspectives. We had Gary V was talking about how the hobby is alive and well. And then we had Vegas Dave or uh, VD, as I like to call him. He had a, a more negative outlook on things. And, um, you know, we, we know either way, there's a lot of money pumping through this thing. 
like I said, we're not going to weigh in on the bubble, but um, I think a more important thing to be doing right now for everyone revolves around weeding out the things in your collection that you could live without and come up with a plan to acquire things that you like or things that make you happy. And, you know, we talk about consolidation. That doesn't mean you have to build the bigger cards. It could just be weeding out some of the junk you have for other smaller cards. That's okay too. You know, I, I know there's a big push for consolidation. You you know, just find what's what's value has gone up that you don't need and come up with a plan for that. I think that's for me is the big takeaway. And you know what, Steve? I feel like you've done a great job of that recently with your Celtics stuff. Um, you've got a couple of emerging stars there on the Celtics. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what you've been doing with your collection? Yeah, so just a quick background. I will just say I never pick something up for an investment, but I'm just lucky being a Celtics fan. You know, not only do we have all those banners, but like our media base hypes our players, our GM hypes our players. Um, so every year there's a Celtics player that will spike. Isaiah Thomas, Terry Rozier. I mean, you can go down. I think the only one that has in recent <laughs> history was Kelly Olynyk, right? Right. P.S. I've got a Simi Ojale gold prism coming up for sale soon via COMC. So, Simi, I need I need a game or two from you. That's all I need. You might get eight points. You're not getting your 15 points, but still a very hey, cool hey, card. You know what? In, in 2021, eight points is all you need. <laughs> Back-to-back threes and it'll sell. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I've always been been lucky in that. And it's, it's taught me to – I know what's in my collection and there's always – you know, I'll never forget – Terry Rozier's first ever start. Um, Kyrie was injured, and he comes in for his first start and gets a triple double. And I think the next night puts up thirty points. And I was like, I got a gold rookie. Let me just see what I can get. And I was, you know, I got way too much for it. And cool. So I always have that that mentality of, you know, there's cards I don't need. Then you layer in twenty twenty now twenty twenty one when we're spending more time with our cards. There's these surging prices. And there's cards that I'm getting. Panini's done a very nice job of burning me out on shiny cards, right? I am, I'm just done. And so when I look at my collection, I don't like the optics, the prisms, the mosaics, the slacks as much as I used to. Um, so over the summer, I, I had a lot of fun selling off just doubles. I would pick up Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, rookies, sometimes graded on Com C for 10, 15 bucks, and all of a sudden they were 100 bucks. So the summer, I, I, cons- I learned I learned to consolidate, and I learned that I could chase cards. I picked up some Paul Pierce exquisite stuff that I never thought could have been in my collection. I also pulled a ton of money out, and I funded my other hobbies, and I, you know, gave cash to my wife for the family fund. So, it just, and it's all just luck. Uh, but I've I've learned a process of doing that, and so this year, going into this year, I. Jalen Brown's playing at a, a level that I've always been a fan of him. So I've had his stuff since he was a rookie. Um, I remember distinctly, Kyle, actually you commenting on a post on Instagram that I made when I picked up another green prism rookie for 10 bucks. And I said, he has not today's impulsive buy $10. And you said, wow, I didn't realize they were that cheap. And now I don't know that card's probably a hundred, 200 bucks. I don't even know. So I'm just fortunate. Well, I wish I had bought one then. <laughs> That'd be a nice piece for your uh, your show. I'd go, they, they go quick. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't own it right now if yeah. I did buy it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So over. So I, I've gone into this year, and I really have decided to cut back on my Jalen Brown stuff. I 
Tatum stuff, I've I've never really picked up a ton of it because he we were already in a sort of a price surge when he rolled around. You know, Prism was already modern day Prism, and so I never had a ton of that stuff. But I have a ton of Jalen Brown stuff. So over the last few weeks, I've been going through and and pulling out. I pulled out like sixteen of them to send off to grading. It's my first grading submission since probably he was a rookie. Uh, pulled out another couple hundred to send off to Com C. Pulled out a couple to trade to friends or to gift, um, and really just highlighted what do I want. He doesn't sign anymore, so I kept most of the autos. Um, and he has because he doesn't sign, Panini doesn't put him in a lot of flawless NT type stuff, so he doesn't have very many relics. So I kept all of the game use patches I had, and then I kept some some oddball rookies. He there was a. The 2016-17 rated rookie set, the Donner's rated rookie set, was an all-star weekend release, so they weren't in packs, so I kept one of those. I liked the Essentials Platinum. That was a second-year card for him, so I kept that. So I just kept cards that I looked at, and I was like, no, I would miss this if it was gone. And then I I piled up. I mean, I had I probably had 80 jersey-numbered Optic Select Prism cards. They're, they're all off in the ether somewhere right now. Um, either sold already, getting ready to be sold. Um, pull out all the Prism stuff, some Prism sticker auto, stuff like that. And I just, I it's gone, it's out of my house and I don't miss it. I wasn't looking at it and enjoying it anymore. And then uh, those funds will fund a hobby purchase or will fund a mountain bike for me. So um, I do, in this instance, I am trying to consolidate it into a bigger card. I would like to add, you know, another Paul Pierce card that maybe I thought I could never afford, but but we'll see. You know, it's it's with grading and with you know delays in submission with Com C and just a lack of time I have to sell myself with my family and stuff. Um, it's going to take several weeks to a month to consolidate this. So I'll have funds kind of flowing in and out, and we'll we'll see what I do with it. But it's definitely. I have learned over the years, there's many, many times I send stuff off either in a trade or a sale and the second it's gone, I don't miss it. And that's, that's when I know those were, you know, it was the time to get rid of those cards. So at least it's, it's nice then to have some of that money on hand. Cause I, I know you've already, as you mentioned, you kind of started that process in the summer. You were picking up Paul Pierce stuff. Um, it's my understanding though, that you have less of that money now yeah, because yes. recently you ran into a situation that. Uh, well, you know, it could be a player collector's biggest dream. It could be a player collector's nightmare, depending on how you look at it. Um, several weeks ago, it uh, I still remember it. You sent me a picture on Instagram of an eBay listing that was the biggest Jay Crowder lot that I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and it featured a big price tag as well, $25,000. So um, first, you know, we got a good laugh out of that, right? We just... Something very casual between friends. We got a good laugh out of it. Um, the only difference was then I had I, I didn't have to deal with it from that point out. But you, my friend, are the Jalen Crowder super collector. I don't feel like there are a lot of traditional super collectors out there, especially from the Panini era. So give us some perspective here. What was going through your head when you not only you saw this lot pop up, but also the $25,000 price tag? The $25,000 price tag, I literally just laughed. I was like, who else will laugh at this with me? Um, so I sent it <laughs> I sent it to you, and I, I think I may, might have sent it to the uh, – we have that group chat with some of us from the Beckett boards and stuff. I sent it a few places. Um, I So let me just start. I don't on, usually talk money, but I didn't pay anywhere near that. But I also 
with the hobby right now, I don't want to turn this into a PSA, but the money I spend on the hobby is is money that I have to spend. Like we, my wife and I don't carry debt. We have savings accounts for ourselves, college accounts for our kids. So just to put that out there, I think that's always a good reminder for people that this is this is a hobby for a lot of us and this is hobby funds that I have. So um, I saw it and I laughed. And I, so to give a, a little context, when you open it up, it was really horribly listed. Um, it didn't really detail the kind of key cards that were in there. So it was about eight pictures. I opened it up as I was drinking my coffee, getting ready for the work day. And um, it was a lot of immaculate RPAs, which just, they have value. They just, I have one of each and I don't care for duplicates. Um, I don't even think it was its own picture in a picture in the corner of a, a lot of cards. There was a 2012-13 gold prism rookie, which I know has value. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then he had six one of ones in there. Um, some really nice ones too. Some that I've seen sell over the years um, back when he was it was crowd was with the Celtics. Um, and then a bunch of plates, some some pretty cool plates, printing plates, but I, I don't usually chase those. And I laughed and I was checking my email at the same time and I screenshot it and sent it off to a few people and um, kind of just let it go. Just honestly ignored it. The price tag was ridiculous. Um, but I did later in the day, either on my lunch break when I got home, message the guy. Um, I, first off, I tried a, a lowball offer. Um, just thinking of this one-on-ones in there, let me offer what I think the one-on-ones are worth. And it got auto-rejected. And then I messaged the guy saying, you know, interested if you ever split this up i'd be interested in the one-on-ones you know i have most of the other stuff but just and he responded back that he was selling off his collection and wasn't interested in splitting it up and i said well you're not interested in selling it if you're posting it for twenty five thousand dollars either but i didn't didn't say that um and I, I should be nice he might actually be one of your listeners so i'll i'll, I'll be nice about that part of the prospect but we love you secondary <laughs> jay crowder guy that we didn't know existed yeah that's the other thing i had no idea he existed uh, on no idea at all i mean i knew somebody was buying this stuff because it would disappear off facebook but um so then I, you know, had time in the next day or two to really think about it. I think you had actually asked me what I would place on a value. Um, and I think it might have even been your question that sent me back to the listing. And I saw to scroll through the pictures and I didn't, hadn't seen all the pictures in the listing before. And, and the very last one was 11 NTRPAs, which I, I think I've spoken about on this show. For some reason, in addition to my unhealthy obsession with collecting credit cards, I also hoard that specific card. Um, so you had 11 of them. So that's what got the juices flowing of, huh, I wonder what it would take to get this. So, And, and just to clarify, there's only 99 yeah. of them, right? So between your, I don't know what you were at, 12 and his 11, that's a pretty significant portion of the print run. Yeah. As of today, I have in the box up on my bookshelf, I have 25 out of the 99. Um, <laughs> and and in the lot that I did, so I ended up picking up, obviously, there is the black printing plate for that. So I don't like printing plates, but it's pretty cool to have the black printing plate from that one as well. So um, well, get the other three and you can print up some more. Then. <laughs> Make sure to trim them nice and clean. Um, so I saw those and, and what I just did at that point is, you know, I, I know the market value on those. Now, of course, if you went to market and all of a sudden put 11 of them up for auction, the price is going to just tank drastically on that. So when I say the market value, I mean, if one were to hit auction today, I, I know about what it would sell for. And they're up a little bit. He, his stuff always spikes when he goes to a new team and then it climbs back down when the one or two people get a cool card of his. But I knew what those were worth. And... 
I knew what the the Prism Gold was worth and, and what those, you know, none of his have sold, but comparable players like a Tristan Thompson have sold recently. So I had at least some sense and I, you know, took the took a Tristan Thompson sale and I said, okay, if I could get two thirds of that, there's, there's where I'd be. So I came in my head uh, an offer that would be basically the NTRPAs, the 101s and the uh, Prism Golds, knowing that the immaculates have the immaculate stuff has no value to me. I don't I don't want it. So mm-hmm. let me pay for the cards I want, and then I could you know I'll dish off the other stuff in trades or sales or sit in a box and forget about it. Um, and I I'd messaged the guy. We had some good conversation. He talked about his collection. He's uh, was over in China for a while collecting. He's now stateside. He's getting out of the hobby. Real nice guy to chat with. Sent him an offer. Got sent through. It was. Well, a lot of money for crowd of cards and he rejected it without even getting back to me and that that part bugged me so i i, I honestly had stepped away from it um and forgotten about not forgotten about it but just as like it's not happening i'm gonna let it sit there for a while and then um he ends up reaching out to me saying you know um through instagram and we we ended up talking there I felt I had a little more flexibility because what I would pay would not Massachusetts sales tax is extremely high shipping. I, I saved a lot by not paying those fees. Um, so I, I upped my offer a little bit and we, we came to a deal. Um, so about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I got a four row box of about 150 G Crowder cards um, delivered to my house from New Jersey. So, you mentioned earlier that you were just going to let it go and like I don't I think I'm more bothered by that I, I it's like you're the Crowder guy I'm like you have to have that right that's your identity although I know you you know you exist outside of being the Crowder guy um d- did you have any of those feelings though like if if I let this lot go I'm not the Crowder guy no cuz the communication was tough and the price was astronomical um, honestly, I wasn't even going to make an offer until I saw the RPAs. And then that weird part about the RPAs of like, I want as many of these stupid chunks of cardboard as I can get, um, is really what drove me to even want to make an offer because the, the listing was, was not a listing that I, I thought was manageable to be honest with you. Um, and even out of the, there's a, there's one, one of the one ones is a Celtics immaculate tag auto. It's, it's a gorgeous card. And as a Celtics collector, that hits two notes for me. But even the one ones were ones that had some value. I knew what most of them had sold for in the past and they were more than I wanted to pay back then. So, um, no, there wasn't part, there wasn't that part of me because the other part of me was if like this stuff ever all goes to auction, it's going to flood the market and people aren't going to, you know, jump at it. So I'll pick up here and there. Um, or it might disappear. He might get frustrated. He might say, I have X number of dollars. And I, he clearly liked collecting at one point and he might just stash it away for a while until it had some value. So I, I didn't, I wasn't obsessing over it um, until I saw those NTRPAs. Well, that's um, good self-restraint on your part. I know I've talked about it before. Um, part of the reason I don't player collect is because I kind of felt guilted into buying some cards that I didn't really like. But it was like, well, you know, I got to get this for my checklist. So um, I respect player collectors immensely. 
And um, I know, you know, just from the past on a smaller scale, I know that struggle. So uh, kudos to you for having that kind of restraint. Uh, But at the end of the day, you still ended up with it. So you get this giant four row box um, on your doorstep. And um, what what's the process look like from there? So I, you know, carve out some time. Um, like you, I, I work in public education and my young kids are still daycare age. So I, I pick them up. Usually I get home and I, I have like an hour to myself before I go and scoop the kids from, from daycare. So um, got delivered, you know, I knew I had about an hour's worth of time. So I brought out my spreadsheet, brought out the the binders and the boxes and, and just started sorting through. And the first thing that I, I did was to go and pull out the key cards that I knew were in there. So just sort of almost like a, a Rolodex or the old um, Dewey Decimal System files from the library where you just sort of flipping through them. Um, so just looking for those one-on-ones, looking for the golds. Uh, there was you know a bunch of select golds in there in addition to the prism. Looking for those stuff, making sure they were clean, putting it aside. Um, I did open the box and, and give a WTF because it wasn't wasn't packaged very well. There's a lot of loose cards sliding around, uh, a lot of cards not in top loaders, um, but every card ended up coming up safe. So so I did that had, like with the hour, like I said, pull out those those key cards, logged them in my spreadsheet, you know, found them their rightful home in my collection, and really just took the time to enjoy those cards that I knew I was chasing. Um, pulled out all the NTRPAs and just said, I'll, I'll deal with you guys later because they all have to be, you know, oriented in the top on the mags the same way in the exact same type of protective bag. They have to be, you know, in order, you know, highest to lowest in my box. So set those aside and then put the box aside for, you know, a couple of days. I didn't have time to deal with the rest of it. And then the next step was to go through and just pick out, look for the oddball cards that I might not have. And um, in our messages, I said to you that there were like moments where it's like a roller coaster. Where it's like, I this is so much fun. I'm so this is so cool. I'm like pulling apart this collection. I picked it up. I'm going through these cards and, and interacting with them. And then there's you know ten minutes later, there'd be a moment of what the hell did I do? Um, and those what the hell did I do moments came because there were 150 cards, but probably only 30 of them were in the listing. Um, the rest of them were just him saying, "I'm including my entire collection. I'm selling." these cards but i'm sending everything along with it um and the 101s gave me hope that it would be a, a fairly diverse collection because he had stuff from his rookie year all the way up through 2016-17 when he his finally crowder's final year of the celtics and as i started filtering through the stuff i realized that it wasn't that diverse a lot of it was the guy the previous collector liked to have duplicates of autos so he would have three four five six ten of the same auto um, and a lot of it from his rookie year but interspersed in there, there was, you know, an out of five rookie auto I needed that had escaped me a few times. There was, I went through every single one, pulled out all the jersey numbered stuff, which was really cool, even if I already had the card. Um, to, to me, that's an upgrade. So kind of went through all that, organized it. Um, earlier tonight, I, I went back through it, organized it all by set. So all the select stuff is together, all the totally certified stuff is together, the prism stuff. Um, and now it's it's figuring out what to do with the rest of it. I, I'm going to go through every card to just make sure that I haven't skipped anything, that it's nothing that I need, and then figure out what I want to keep. There are some duplicates that are, are quote-unquote high-end for Crowder. He's got 
you know, the gold standard RPA out of 10, he, one of those is in there. There's two or three silhouette prime RPAs out of 25. So stuff like that, decide if I want to, you know, add to my patch, rookie patch auto hoarding, or if I want to move some of that stuff, because that is all stuff that has some value that would move easily. Um, and then start to, to pick apart how to move some of the $1 to $10 cards, um, whether it be lots on Facebook if I try. You know, one of my thoughts is maybe I take one of each Immaculate RPA and have it like an Immaculate RPA lot and sell it for, for cheap on Facebook or direct. So, um, And then the the big gamble is the the 2012-13 select, gold, I mean, Prism Gold to see what percentage I can recoup. I, I compared it to mine, picked one of the two i believe is the one i already own that seemed you know super clean and i sent it off to grading um and if that gets a high grade i i should be able to recoup a decent percentage of of what i put into this uh, i don't even want to call it investment because it's not it's a horrible financial decision but um <laughs> my, my my ideal goal would be to between that and you know what i have value in the rpas and one-on-ones and then some experience costs to really feel like i came out even and then if I sell a few hundred dollars worth of stuff over the year, you know, and, and, and the stu- some right. of the stuff will sell, right? But it's, you know, cash in hand, you know, is more valuable. So that's that's the, the challenge there. But it's a lot of fun. You know, we'll see where it goes. I think it um, – I want to say it saved you a lot of time of hunting all those down. But then again, having to trim all the fat off of it yeah. is probably taking up a lot of time as well. You mentioned the gold standard – um, RPA numbered to 10. I remember you got the 101 sometime within the last year. Yep. So uh, you've got several of those. So th- those would probably make a nice little batch to keep together. But uh, I, I'm going through my mind right now what I would keep and what I would get rid of. But um, I, I'm curious to see what happens with this. I'm excited for you. Uh, I'm glad that you chose to come on and share. I actually had someone message me a picture of the <laughs> lot that said sold. And they said, um, it would be great if you had, they didn't even say, did Steve buy this? They said, <laughs> they said it would be great if you had Steve come on and talk about this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he bought it. Um, and I had actually already thought about that. I'm like, you know what? That would be, you're like a recurring character on this show, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, and people are very invested in you. And I get people messaging me with Crowder cards. Hey, does your friend have this? So, uh, people care about this collection. People want to see it grow. I'm excited to see this grow. Um, you were always the number one Crowder collector to me. I didn't know there was another one out there, but this cements you as number one for good. Um, Steve, as always, it was a lot of fun to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I think you enjoy the hobby in unique ways, and I enjoy hearing from you. Go ahead and give us your social media handles again, and and feel free to plug anything else that you'd like. The floor is yours. Uh, Well, thanks, Kyle. You know I always enjoy these conversations, and I, as you know, uh, because we're, we're friends and you follow my social media feed, you, you know, I, I do try to engage in the hobby in different ways and, and I get a lot of out of it. And especially over the last year with the COVID stuff, you know, my world has been pushed in the digital realm and cards exist there. So I definitely, definitely enjoy these opportunities and look forward to any opportunity to engage with the hobby. Um, yeah, my social media is, is S Howley 2003. I keep that consistent across all platforms. Um, it's way, you can find me blow out 
Instagram, Twitter, though I don't use it, etc. Uh, so reach out to me if you ever want to talk cardboard. I uh, happy to do so. And I guess to keep the theme of tonight, what I will plug is if anybody is thinking they might have a Jay Crowder card hidden away in their collection somewhere, if anybody can locate it's <laughs> this damn card I can't find. 2016-17 Prism. It's an orange wave out of 25. I have been hunting down this one card. There's like three copies of the Tail Wave out of 25. There's like six copies available right now of the Mojo out of 25. I can't find this orange wave out of 25 from 1617. So that's my plug. If anybody, if anybody can locate that down, I will pay um, a small finder's fee or send you one of the 120 Crowder uh, autos <laughs> that I have. But that's my plug is my hunt for that card right now. All right. So check your quarter boxes. Yes. <laughs> um, maybe dollar boxes. It might have somehow made it to that point. Um, but that is a card. Someone out there, there look, there's like a thousand people that'll probably hear this at some point, maybe more. Uh, one of you thousand people has this card. Let's get it to Steve. There we go. Um, Steve, thanks again. I'll be talking to you soon. Appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Steve for coming on the show and talking through some hobby headlines. And then, of course, the Crowder stuff. And when it comes to player collecting, I know I'm living vicariously through him. Maybe you guys feel the same way. I know, like I mentioned earlier, I get messages every now and then when people showing me Crowder cards that they think he might need, which is awesome. I love the way that everyone is so connected in this hobby. So it was nice to hear an update from him on the collection. Maybe there was something that either of us said that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. Because you're going to do it anyway, right? And it doesn't cost you anything. This works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www tinyurl.com slash WMPod. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. It's a simple way to support the show, but if multiple people do that, it really helps me out. So once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.